Step up to a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. iFit controls speed, incline, and decline, meaning that as an on-screen trainer leads you through a global or studio workout, the machine automatically mimics the changing terrain or adjusts the speed to the trainer's cues without you having to touch anything. Explore Nordic Track treadmills at nordictrack.com. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. Today, I'm excited to start a series called The Body Series, where we're going to tackle a variety of physical issues and injuries common to runners. And we're, today, we're going to start in the center, or back actually, of it all, with lower back pain. Helping us decode it vertebrae by vertebrae is Dr. Maggie Hengem, the founder and owner of Motion, a physical therapy company with clinics in Minnetonka and St. Paul, Minnesota, and in Park City, Utah. Was that right, St. Paul, Maggie? That was. You nailed it. Nice, nice. So Maggie is an educator for postdoctoral residents in the doctoral program at the University of Minnesota. She volunteers with the U.S. ski team. She's a published author and researcher in two textbooks and is the Twin Cities premier spinal physical therapist be specialist. Say that four times fast. <laughs> Premier <laughs> therapy specialist. Awesome. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, so first of all, um, tell us a little bit about little bit about yourself as an athlete. Like, what do you like to do when you're? Uh, yeah, with- I always joke that it's kind of. I feel like it's the bylaws to going into physical therapy is that you have to be an athlete to do it, right? Um, and so I kind of have the age-old story of everyone of. Uh, I was in athletics in high school and developed this love for running, mostly on my off seasons for volleyball and went out to the West for my PT school and persisted in downhill skiing, which is a totally different um, set of lungs. And, and, uh, but yeah, kind of developed a passion for movement. And I think that that's uh, by nature something that we love and because we see it every day, all day. So that was kind of my entry into keeping this body prime and trying to figure out ways to cheat the system a little bit to continue to move. Awesome. And what drew you to the field of physical therapy? Say that again. Uh, what, what brought you into physical therapy? Why, why, do you, why are you drawn to movement? Yeah. Um, so physical therapy was, you know, you, you start off your career and you think, I, I love medicine. I want to be able to have that one-on-one kind of boutique healthcare feel. Um, and I think you kind of become this juxtaposition of physician or PT, and that's a common story of the PT kind of journey. And my role was just, I loved movement. I loved being able to move with patients and looking at my day in, day out. I wanted to be able to um, be a champion from moving a patient from, you know, anywhere from 80-year-old Gladys to getting back to uh, walking with grandkids to somebody in the high-level athletics, being able to return to their usual self. So I think I really loved the journey with patients. Um, So I decided to go into physical therapy because of that and then moved out to Colorado. And that just threw a little gasoline on the movement fire. I think everybody out there is... Um, has this next level of the amount of movement that there is, which you know a lot about. Um, and But then back to the Midwest roots I came as, as I really wanted to venture into private practice and then had a good opportunity here to do so. So um, that was kind of my, I think everybody kind of develops this further, further love. And the more you take classes that you enjoy and the more that you kind of go, oh, I have a major, it's kinesiology, look at that. I just kind of landed into it, which is not a sexy story to say that I took what I love, I did what I love, and I continued to move through it and it developed a major which inevitably developed a profession that's awesome that's very cool i think that's a good story actually if you do what you if you can do what you love that's you know that's a win for sure um 
what in and what specifically got you interested in the spine? I mean, it sounds like you, you that's kind of a big focus of your own research and interest. Yeah. I think the complexity, right, is uh, is that you know you have ACLs. I see we we say you know our post ops are a good break from our day. We probably shouldn't say that, but it is kind of a it's not as intricate as somebody that comes in with long history of back pain. You know, maybe they've had trauma, they've had a couple injuries, or skiers. Um, are hard on their bodies. And so it's so complicated. And there's so many facets that go into it. And the literature has really evolved in the last 10 years. And I think we have so many preconceived notions of patients coming in with just antiquated knowledge and saying, you know, I, I'll, I'll reminisce back to the patients I saw 10 years ago that said, I can't run because of X. I can't do this because of Y. And it's so fun to kind of break down those barriers and say, hey, you know, this is what we've learned since you were told that. And I know that that's a little scary and intimidating since that's been something that you've, you know, kind of developed a, a career of movement around. But um, I like that ever-evolving conversation with patients. And I think with the literature really coming behind us and being able to support um, really opening up a lot of doors back up for people, uh, it's an area of passion because it's not linear. It's not it's not one thing that got them there. It's usually a combination of, you know, 5,000. So um, I enjoy that, that multifaceted approach. And we're, our clinics are really that kind of boutique model of we focus really on that outside in, inside out approach with nutritionists and trainers. And so it's such a cohesive model and the spine fits beautifully into that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so, um, so I guess we should put a disclaimer because obviously back pain is like, you know, everyone has a different flavor of it. And yet it's like the vanilla of, you know, so many things, like so many people complain about it. Right. I mean, how many people come into your clinic runners are not talking about lower back pain. Oh, totally. And 80% of the population has chronic nonspecific low back pain. So uh, you would be, you would be a rare being to come into the clinic and not at least have part of it. If that's what you're seeing from with me or not, it is something that almost everybody has. So uh, definitely common, definitely something we see across the board and across the age band. Okay. Well, and so again, there are myriad causes and we're not going to go into anything specific here on this podcast, but when it comes to running, can you name a few of the common ones you see when a runner comes in and starts talking about like her back hurts? Absolutely. So um, what's cool about the, the studies, and I'll, I'll go on a soapbox for just one second, um, is that the literature really says that, you know, most people have age-related changes and they do not have to hurt, right? So 50% of people over the age of 50 have disc bulging, 70% of patients over the age of 80 have arthritis. Like it is a really normal wear behavior of your back, right? So a lot of our patients are coming in thinking, well, that's why I have back pain. And it might be a piece of the larger puzzle, right? And that's, that comes down to, like you said, is looking at that patient-specific approach and doing an exam. But it's not the do-all, end-all where I'm saying, oh, your image says you can't run. Um, if anything, 6% of images describe low back pain. So it's a really small subset. So most of my patients that are coming in with back pain, it has nothing to do with that mechanical and hardware component. It has mostly to do with that software component. It's the container that you've built around the back, which inevitably comes down to in runners, they need lots of hip and core strength, right? And being able to really move through their hips and their spine. So getting that kind of awareness of what movement should look like. Mm -hmm. um, and then lots of times there's stiffness and stickiness too. You know, we, especially in the midst of COVID worlds, we're all sitting in these, um, as you can see my horrible posture and ergonomics here, these positions all day, we're stiff. And then we go out and we hit the pavement and there might just need, need to be kind of, you know, an approach of looking at how well you move, looking at how you move and looking at how much strength you have to move. And usually those three things develop a story of why somebody hurts. Okay, cool. I love that word software you just used. Can you describe that a little bit more? Like, so it's not yeah. 
the vertebrae or your pelvic bone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and the literature has really evolved in the software component as well. What we used to do, and 10 years ago, how I used to practice has changed, and that we used to think that your bony anomalies or your bony hardware or where those hardware, where your pelvis sits or your alignment, those things were really strong 15 years ago. And we've really shifted from that to more of the software component because the literature really hasn't supported camp A as much. And so now we know that a lot of the same techniques that I used to do, I'm still doing, but I'm doing them for a different reason. That often people, when I'm putting my hands on them, I'm just kind of resetting their software. I'm giving them their brain awareness of an area so that they can better move through their pelvis, so that they know where their pelvis lives and that they can develop strength in those key muscle groups that really support them during their run and through the length of their run. So I think that software is always a good reset for patients as we say, hey, you know, hands-on and manual therapy is a control alt delete to a sticky system, which I guess I don't know the Mac equivalent, um, but the uh, reset to your system and um, the programming component is to create a more durable container around that system to buffer the forces that you enjoy in your sport. Sure, sure. Okay, that's very cool. I was just taking some notes because it's so good. Um- <laughs> Talk a little bit. So, I mean, so is it, I mean, cause I've read a lot and I kind of go glassy eyed after a while and I am very much coming at this as, you know, I mean, um, somebody who knows a little bit to be dangerous, but not, not anything, you know, just skimming the surface, like tight hamstrings, weak glutes. Like are those two things that contribute to Super common? I think the glute components really common, right? Is we've lengthened and make those guys sleepy. We sit on them. Yeah. And I think um, something I talk to my patients a lot about is the continuum of, you know, when I was in high school and college and I used to program for myself, I used to really work on circuit training. I used to look at my macro plan of my big picture so that I can be ready for seasons. And then I, you know, crossed my thirties and just started running to run because I had 30 minutes between meetings. Sure. Um, and so then that really has changed my view of, you know, now I'm, I'm looking at big picture. What am I, what am I doing in my days while well, I'm sitting a lot or, um, you know, I'm in meetings all day today, for example. Uh, and that just creates this long and weak muscle group that I might need tonight for strength for my run. So the butt muscle is a key muscle for running. It's the largest muscle group in the body. It should be. Um, and it's a pusher and inevitably a running sports, a pushing sport. So, um, Glutes are a fantastic first start, and there's lots of really easy ways for us to get those muscles primed up and ready to go. How do you know if you have weak glutes? Is there an easy way to tell, or is that something that someone like yourself has to tell us, like do enough? There's, there's of course, like good self-assessment is, um, you know, I'll have patients that come to class, like to PT and they'll say, oh, I do circuit training. I go to Orange Theory. I go to, you know, wherever that have you. Um, and they have never felt their butt muscles. Right. And I'm like, so do you ever get tired? You guys are doing squats now. My, I feel it, my quads and hamstrings are like, okay. So usually that's a good indicator. If you're not feeling your glutes fatiguing during activities that would commonly target those areas like squats or lunges or deadlifts or things of that nature, you're probably in the wrong position. So you just need a session or two just to reframe where you're at. So a good way is to self-monitor where you feel it. Okay. Uh, and a second way is you can always, I always love giving patients like at the end where they're feeling really good and running pain-free, kind of their self-assessment checkpoints. Like we, they finally got to single leg squats. They feel it in their butt, no knee pain, no back pain. They're all lined up where they should be, where their hip, knee and toe are lined up and they're really squared away and they can hammer out three sets of 30 single leg squats, feeling it in their glutes. Well, that's good because you need a lot of single leg squats when you run, right? And so I think people don't correlate those two things. They think 
Um, well, I'm pretty strong. Well, show me a single leg squat. I don't do those. I'm like, yes, you do. You do it every, every step you take when you run. You just don't think you do it. So um, I think that's a really good self-assessment is if you can't stand on one leg and you can't bend and straighten your knee and feel it in your hip, you might not be using your hip very well. And that might be a really good first start for you to developing a little better glute program. All right. I love that. I love that. What about tight hamstrings? Yeah, tight hamstrings. So we're, we're battling in the PT world. And of course, I can never have a simple answer to a simple question. Uh, is, is this, the, 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 the battle is, is, is the muscle tight or is it lengthened and weak, right? Is the muscle just not getting strengthened to its longest component? And that's that deadlift, right? Am I really strong enough in that muscle at its very longest point to go for runs? And if I'm not, does that adapt that muscle to make it short and sleepy and not tolerate the load of my task? That's kind of the debate between the two. So of course, like, can you bend forward and, you know, go towards the ground? Sure. And if that causes pain in your hamstrings, then they definitely are getting stretched past their load tolerance and they need to be peaked at. Is it weakness? Is it tightness? Is it a combo between the two? But of course, not an easy answer. The glute answer was an easier one to just say yes to. Hamstrings, I'm like, I don't know. I have to see it and feel it and know it. Okay. All right. Is there anything else that like, you know, that you see um, as far as like muscle imbalance or I don't know anything else that's like an easy kind of one. Yeah. I think the, the easiest one is a, um, is hip flexor length, right? Because if you think about it, your, your glute lets your leg go behind you. And with running, that's really essential. So if your hip flexors are tight, right. And they're not achieving that hip extension or hip going behind you. Um, you'll get that from somewhere and often you get it from your back. So that's a really easy way for us to get people to, to look at hip mobility. Um, and that's just making sure that you can even lie on your, your back on the table or on your bed and let your leg hang off of your bed. And if, if you're really feeling like, gosh, my front of my hips really tight and my legs not even close to behind me, uh, then you, you're probably not achieving that in your run. And that's something that can be easily, easily addressed with just a nice, good kind of, kind of half lunging stretch or just getting that hip flexor going. And of course, this is such COVID times. I'm wearing sweatpants on the bottom down. Otherwise, I would totally show you. <laughs> no, I guess sweatshirt on. We have retreats at another mother runner and we have a running form clinic. And yes that come that are super knowledgeable about form and have talked about, you know, we tend to have women um, and, you know, myself included, that we really were good at the front part of the, you know, moving forward off the, the push part, right? Ending behind you on the stride is, is not, you know, that's, I think that comes a lot with trying to run faster or maybe being a track athlete as a, right. as you know, in high school or something like that, where you're kind of taught to run that way, where yeah. we're taught to um, kind of mince through our steps a little bit or not taught, but that's just what comes easier. Totally. And I think body takes path of least resistance. So again, like maybe your daily activities have changed. You're sitting a lot more. You've been pregnant since the last time you were training for something. And so um, going back to those original building blocks, do my, does my leg move free of my back? Does my glutes support my leg to go through ranges functional to running? Those are really simple questions to answer. And I think really important to do so every year so that you're redeveloping those answers annually to really make sure you're touching base with your body. All right. So before we go into some other questions, um, I want to know, so I'm sitting, you know, we're sitting all day, you're in meetings all day. I'm in, you know, meetings or in front of the keyboard all day. What yeah. are things that we can proactively do? Are we, is it getting up every 20 minutes? Is it stretching your hip flexors? Like, what do you like your patients to do to kind of 
beat the bulge kind of. Yeah, I love that. Um, movement's essential. So we the disc gets nutrition through movement. So the more you move in your day, the healthier your back remains. I, there was a huge prospective study that looked at um, largest contributors to back pain. And the two top things were just if you're a smoker and if you move often, which was really simple. You'd think age, MRI findings, injuries weren't even on the first five list. It was just really just movement. So we tell patients move. You want to sit, uh, sit 20 minutes, stand 20 minutes, walk around, take that meeting on a walk, right? Put it on headphones and move around. That is essential. I don't want patients standing all day. I don't want them sitting all day. I want them moving all day. Sure. So the more people can do that, the better. Um, and then when you stand up, I always just kind of reset. I tighten my tummy, I tuck my tail, I squeeze my butt just to kind of do the opposite of what I've been doing. You know, I'll stretch my pecs out, just try to, again, kind of reflecting back on the last half hour. And if it was just kind of me on the couch, you know, in this position, I just want to unwind that so I don't facilitate that the rest of my day. Sure, sure. Well, I find too, although it's different with COVID, but you know, it used to be when um, you go for a long run on the weekend, say you're training for a marathon and you went 15 miles, you kind of, you've definitely like passed your number of steps, you've passed your amount of exercise that day, and it kind of gave you a pass to be on the couch all day or in your, you know, just very little movement, but that's kind of it doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> yeah, no, we say, we, we don't say rest, we say active rest. You know, like if you've been training for something, um, fantastic. You need rest days. Recovery is essential, but active rest, like still just go for a little mini, you know, 10 minute walk to go grab something, you know, move throughout your day when you're in between meetings, et cetera. Try not to get so zonked that you're, you know, seven hours in on the couch and haven't moved since, you know, 7 a.m. That's, sure. that's gonna, it's a lot of variable forces for your back. He just went through this big long run and, you know, now, now all that acidity is kind of settling in and there's no nutrition moving through. It's just, it's just helpful to get movement going. So you're right, is that you can be pooped. Um, that's fantastic. We love being pooped, but definitely still maintaining motion on the back end of that. All right. Some technology I can give or take. Our washer and dryer are two decades old. I think I have an iPhone 8. But when it comes to treadmills, newer is beyond nifty. Nordic Track treadmills with iFit interactive connected technology are life-changing. With a huge touchscreen, iFit transports you to an energetic studio workout class or stunning locations filmed in amazingly more than 40 countries across all seven continents iFit offers up thousands of on-demand workouts from walking and hiking excursions up to a speed building intervals and everything in between. There are even yoga, boot camp, and cross-training sessions that have you hopping off the treadmill. New Zealand, Egypt, Patagonia, Easter Island. These are just some of the far-flung locales you can virtually visit via Nordic Track Treadmill with iFit. With a wide, high-definition touchscreen, you will almost think you are running in those places. I still practically feel like I have run in a waterfall and lake-filled national park in Croatia, thanks to my last session on a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. I'm eagerly waiting delivery of my own treadmill, and oh, the places I'll go. The technology is equally impressive. When the terrain on the screen climbs, the treadmill automatically raises. When the trail levels out, so does the well-cushioned tread. The speed adjusts all on its own. After hitting start, you let the treadmill make all the adjustments, no pushing buttons. If your motivation is fired up by competition, do one of the studio classes, even a live one, so you can see your stats on a leaderboard against other workout warriors. The possibilities are endless. To see what I'm talking about, head to nordictrack.com. 
That's N-O-R-D-I-C-T-R-A-C-K.com. See where you can go with a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. So these are a couple of questions and hopefully, but I, I come with them with um, a, probably a na- naivety, but also I think that people have, I think you probably get them from your customers or your, um, your, your, boss, right. So like mattress, does a mattress matter about lower back pain, the mattress support you have? Yeah. So I say mattresses are like shoes. Every time I go to a shoe conference, I'm always overwhelmed by the literature. And then at the end, it's always like, well, actually the biggest literature is whatever's most comfortable to your patients, the right shoe for them. You're like, oh, that was kind of a 12 hour conference for a simple take home. So I, uh, I say the same thing about mattresses, shop, 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 right? You want to be able to lay on a mattress, never normalize. Well, my back was worse, but no worries because X, that's not true. Find something that's comfortable and look at the return policy. (laughs) So it's okay to push back and continue to find things. Often our stiff patients like a little bit more stiff um, mattresses and the opposite true for, for our more mobile patients. But truthfully, just listen to your body, whatever you wake up as, if you're feeling great, it's the perfect mattress. All right. I like it. Well, and so let's talk shoes. Yes. Uh, do, do we want more cush as we get older or to, to give us a little bit more, you know, bounce or is that a, a myth? So the, uh, again, two huge schools of thought, right? We have this supportive shoe and you saw that build up with the, the Hoka and it's just pendulum swings. And then 10 years ago, um, it was really about the minimalist shoe and if, if anything, no shoe. So it's just this conversation between the two. Um, no right answer for one person, but the, the person that really developed the minimalist shoe, I was listening to her conference and she was saying, uh, you know, that really the development of the foot when the strength in the foot and the strength in your hips and the pads of your feet, that was a two year conversation that was moving out of a supportive shoe to a minimalist shoe. So I will say if you've been in a supportive shoe, probably stay in a supportive shoe. You're, you have a long road developing the, the proprioception and strength to be able to be out of it. Doesn't mean you can't, it just means it would be a very slow road. So uh, the, the right shoe for the right person is that Again, finding that shoe that's the most comfortable for them, running in it, looking at your gait mechanics and what you're, you're stable in, but really listening to your post run and how you're feeling in any joint pain that comes because both schools of thought have negatives, right? Our minimalist shoe has more uh, soft tinge, soft, or our midfoot stride, so a little bit more of that I'm absorbing the ground, which tends to be our minimalist shoe. Um, tends to have a little bit more soft tissue impairments. So people end up with tendonitis, et cetera. And then our heel striker, which tends to be a little bit more of our built up shoe, um, it, it generally see a little bit more bony impact. Both uh, running is such a beautiful thing for your body because we used to think, well, running causes more arthritis and that's not true either. So we're, we're really veering away from the fear of um, that the wrong shoe would cause damage or the wrong shoe would cause long-term repercussions mm-hmm. uh, and really pushing more back into what makes sense for the person's stride. How do we look at them in the shoe and how do they feel? Sure. Okay. Um, what about the surface you run on? I mean, I, it sounds like you really want to get people, people back to running, but if they're coming back, are you more an advocate of the treadmill or trails versus say concrete or pavement? So again, it's what people are used to and what they've trained to, uh, but the, the treadmill always adds a different component, right? It's a little harder to push because it's moving under you. So it's going to forward, it's going to propel you forward a little bit. Okay. Um, so if I'm really trying to work on somebody's ability to train, obviously Minnesota where we're at, it's a little uh, season dependent. <laughs> so, but uh, if we have, we have some grit in our folk up here. So 
Uh, if they've trained outside, I tend to want to keep them training outside. And uh, if they've been training on pavement and that's a really good spot for them, then fantastic. If I have a patient with knee arthritis or their back's really hurting and they're looking for softer terrain, I might try, try throwing them in a softer shoe with more built up and throwing them in a little softer terrain to see if that shock absorption is a better place for them to build strength, endurance, and awareness. But I won't push somebody off of one terrain to another without a couple trial and errors prior, because I think we're stronger than our bodies and we can put some more strength into it and be able to reassess. We can walk the walk and see how it goes kind of thing. Totally. Uh, what about cross training? I mean, if I am wanting to train for a half marathon or a marathon, but I have, you know, maybe my software needs a little bit of rewiring, you know, how much do you think cross training is, um, how much is, is smart still, to still be able to go the distance? Yeah. So I love cross training. Um, so we, we talk about macro planning with our patients. So it's, you know, goal setting at the beginning of the year. So right after you're in your marathon season, um, at the end, when you're kind of doing a month of active rest, maybe you're biking or swimming during that month, just to give your body a reset, we goal set. So where's our strength? What's your mobility? Um, you know, where do we need to go for this next year? What do you want to achieve this next year? And then we build strength for three to four months, build, 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 and keeping running kind of on that bottom level of just not a lot of dosage management, just little tiny runs. Um, and then we start to wean off of strength and increase our running dosage and get people prepped for in season where they're just maintaining the strength that they've gained four months back. So um, I think looking at your seasons like that is really important. Looking at that 30,000 foot view is super essential. Uh, and I think we often don't do it because nobody's, everybody loves running. It's easy, it's fun, and it's, you know, it just gets you going. And most of my, out, I, I joke that my outdoorsists do not tolerate the gym. I don't either. But yeah. I, have to, I have to check myself and just say, like, I make a return to running program every year just to kind of set a goal, tie it to something I enjoy um, and be able to strength train. And it feels like I'm doing it for a centralized goal that's associated to my activity of interest. Um, you just got to trick your brain. But yeah, I love cross training. I love building on off season because um, every time I do it, I have a more comfortable ride during my season and inevitably I'm able to do it longer and more comfortable throughout. So win win. Yeah. Win-win. Well, so in those, in that, in that four months, um, mm -hmm. with somebody who has, you know, complaints of just maybe just common lower back pain, are there certain exercises that are just wins no matter where you are, like dead bug or bird dog or, you know, squats? I don't know, but are there yeah. any that go to almost every patient you see, like just the... Yep. So we glutes again, probably top one. I start with those bridges. So tummy tight, butt tight, lifting your hips, isolating those backside of the hips. It teaches that hip extension. Um, and then you can build off of that with marching or dropping to one leg. Uh, but like every exercise I'm going to go through, you got you to gotta get it off the ground and on your feet, right? So then it goes to squatting then lunging, then single leg squatting, kind of see that transition is that you're able to go from the table where I'm isolating a muscle. And then I'm able to combine that muscle with his other friends that help support running and condition to my sport. Same with core strength. As I start off with those dead bugs, get people that awareness of dropping their back down to the ground, flipping them up on all fours to take away that awareness and that little bit of bird dog. Um, but again, developing that and taking it out and doing things that are more functional where we say trunk management is great core. So as opposed to um, single leg squats on even terrain, maybe one set I do it on a BOSU ball and I'm pushing a little three pound weight overhead to work on trying to manage trunk. That will really help me with my unstable running enjoyment during season 
um, and being able to be thrown off kilter, but still having the core strength to pull back to center. And then outside butt strength is that glute med. He's the friend to the max. Um, <laughs> he's those clamshell muscles. Everybody's been to a PT and got a clamshell where your heels are together and top knee off the bottom. And again, he gets reintroduced in single leg activities. So balance, step ups, lunges. That's really glute med focused. And single leg activities is so applicable, obviously, to running. So those would be the three areas that I'd move from on the bed to on your feet to more complicated. I love it. I love it. What about... Um like Pilates and yoga. And I realize those are two very different disciplines, but I mean, as far as getting general body awareness, maybe building some core strength. I mean, do do they come in handy or is that? Yeah, they're great. Uh, I'm going to butcher and oversimplify both. I'm sure all my Pilates and yoga counterparts are like, Um, but (laughs) I will say I tell patients yoga is so beautiful for spine mobility and core strength throughout, right? Beautiful, awesome. They work on balance. So there's so many values there. Um, same with Pilates is such core strength. It's such good pelvic awareness. Um, so I choose one or another differently for patients, but I love both. And so I tell patients, whatever you enjoy is probably the right one for you. Again, both really tackle more of that high volume, lower intensity. So a little bit more of how I had that conversation about don't sit in Pilates forever and go just Pilates to running. At least have a little month or so where you stop and you say, now what are single leg squats? Now are squats. Where are my legs below me? Because that's a little bit more applicable. But Pilates and yoga have such a gorgeous foundation to build a house on top of uh, that it's a, it's a really good preseason way to build strength. Nice. Okay, so you said earlier that running is beautiful for your body. So um, yes. does running ever help back pain? Yes. So there was a study that came out last year that I was like, yes. Um, So it talked about your IT guys, like, please stop yelling because you're making echoes. So I apologize to listeners. Um, But no, the, uh, the, there's a study that came out that, you know, again, we used to say, well, you have arthritis. And so that makes the holes in your spine smaller, literal term stenosis. Um, And so then that impact on the ground will probably cause pain. And there is some truth to that. Some people hurt when they run. And if you hurt, you you have to make the choices if it's worth it. Um, So I don't want to downplay that. But there's a study that came out and it said the longer the distance the runner, the more they had in the nucleus poplosis of the disc. It was a really well done and pretty large studies that just said, you run longer, your back could be healthier. And there's so many facets that go to that. Back to our conversation of often runners have healthier lifestyles. They're a little bit higher muscle tone, a little bit more active. So they're getting a lot of that uh, blood flow to the area. They're usually less smokers, right? So there's there's probably some self-selecting bias inside of there, but nonetheless, uh, the longer the distance the runner, I used to tell patients, you should calculate your forces and, you know, kind of shy away from long distance running if you had back pain. And now I just... again, back to our, like, I don't, the more, you know, the less, you know, and that's almost a good thing. Cause then it's just like about the person versus about preconceived notions. So, um, it's not, it's not super cut and dry, but it definitely is. There's an opportunity to improve. Nice. Okay. Last question for you. So I've been struggling and I, I meaning a listener has been struggling with lower back pain for, you know, and, and hasn't quite, doesn't quite know exactly what to do. Like at what point do they come in and see someone like yourself? Like, is it, at the onset, is it after a week when it doesn't go away? Like kind of talk when intervention is most helpful. So um, I always tell patients, yeah, actually people do better the earlier they see PT. If somebody sees PT in less than 14 days, 
and they have a couple other subsets, stiffness in their back, not radiating pain, just central low back pain. Um, sometimes it takes a visit or two just to reset some of those sticky systems and give them better exercises versus, oh, this will go away, insert 14 months later. <laughs> and now they're really weak and really stiff. And there's, it's, there's definitely, we get people better after 25 years, but your brain gets used to a story and soft tissue deconditions over time. And so it's the better, the earlier the better and a really good PT um, will not hang on to you for a long time. A really good PT will look at you and say, here's a couple things. Let's figure out what's the exchange here. What do you need from me? How do I support you? So I think people are daunting of like, I don't want to go to PT. It's always like 5,000 visits and it's expensive or, and it doesn't need to be good PTs can see you one or two times and get you the right stuff and meet you where you need to go. So push that PT to, to give you that type of care because it's what you deserve. It's great advice, Maggie. Thank you so much. I feel yeah. stronger and more aligned already. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I love it.